Welcome to Brain Trust Philanthropy, powered by Vitreo. We bring you free-flowing conversations with top thought leaders in philanthropy and the nonprofit sector. Sit back, relax, listen and enjoy as we share ideas and discuss topics that are important, timely, and we hope will transform the nonprofit world. Hello, and welcome to Brain Trust Philanthropy, powered by Vitreo. This is episode 21, recorded Thursday, November the 29th, 2018. I'm Vincent Duckworth. I'm a fundraiser and a partner with Vitreo Group. We are a national agency focused on bold leadership and transformative fundraising. In this episode, our last of the year, we are joined by Roger Ali, Anne Hale, Paula Adfield, and Scott Dexheimer. Our topic, global disruption in philanthropy. What to expect in 2019. At Vitreo, we like disruption. A lot. 2018 held significant change for the world and for philanthropy. The rise of the mega donor, the decline of the old foundations, and the emergence of even more Trump-inspired rage philanthropy. Big societal shifts around Me Too and climate change gained important and much-needed traction in 2018. How much of what was predicted came true this year? How much did not? And most importantly, just what do we have in store for us in 2019? Join us as we discuss all this and more on Brain Trust Philanthropy, powered by Vitreo. We have four amazing fundraising leaders with us today. They're chomping at the bit to talk about this topic. I'm excited to be here. They're excited to be here. Let's get started. First, joining us from Toronto, we have Paula Atfield. Paula is president of Stephen Thomas Limited and is chair-elect for the AFP Canada Board of Directors. Paula, I'm pinching myself that you're finally on our podcast. Welcome. Thank you, Vincent. Paula, you and I have spent some time with each other over the last couple of years, and I have to say it's been a real pleasure to get to know you, your family, and your friends. Before before we ask you to gaze into your crystal ball, I want to ask you something that both of us have strong passions about, about and that's the topic of personal wellness. Uh, you, Scott, and I, and others from across the country joined a team for a, a wellness competition last year called the Whole Life Challenge. As I recall, you were one of our more competitive members. I love that. I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about what your plans are for your own personal wellness in 2019. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I am very passionate about it. First first of all, just a, just a, a quick nod to you, Vincent, for um, pointing me in the direction of the Whole Life Challenge, which I did four times, which was, which was an amazing journey. That was a journey of health and fitness, both of mind, body, spirit, and... Um, I really appreciated that, and you're a very enthusiastic captain, which which was great, but really helped point me in the direction that I needed to go or I felt I needed to go from a from a physical and mental health perspective. 2019 will hopefully see me lose a little weight. Who doesn't want to do that? Uh-huh. Um, getting back to some of the fitness routines that I love, for me, it's about yoga. It's about cardio, which I do uh, spin class, uh, as well as I do weight training. Um, on a regular basis, but that's for the body. As far as the mind, I think it's it's really important to to uh, for me anyway to just spend some quiet time as often as I can, and that might be the form of um, mindfulness, practicing mindfulness. It might be just in the form of being in a quiet quiet space um, whenever I can. I I do I am an introvert, and so that's really important to me. So those are just a few of the things that I'm looking forward to in 2019, including hopefully a sunny vacation somewhere, because uh, I think it's very important to just um, 
to recenter ourselves in, in, a, in a nice environment. So that, that will be my special treat for myself in 2019. Oh, thank, thanks, Paula. And uh, that's inspiring. I know Scott and I are both thinking about our yoga practice. Right, Scott? <laughs> maybe maybe next week, yeah. <laughs> also joining us from near Toronto, actually the regional municipality of Niagara, we have Roger Ali. Roger is the president and CEO of Niagara Health Foundation and the chair of the Association of Fundraising Professionals Foundation Canada. Roger, like Paula, we have been so wanting to have you on our podcast, so welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to be part of it. Roger, we're going to hear your thoughts on disruption and trends in a few minutes, but for right now, our listeners want to know, and I want to know, what 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 has been your volunteer path to become a director of the AFP Foundation Canada, and what inspired you to take on the role of, of chair? You know, that's a great question, uh, Vincent. I, um, I like to think of myself as an enthusiastic volunteer. I've been volunteering for, gosh, a long time. Uh, at least 20, 30 years. And, um, you know, the one thing that, uh, that is meaningful to me is to give back to the community. And as it relates to AFP, um, it was when I was working with United Way, um, uh, quite a long time ago. And I got a phone call, um, from Cynthia Quigley saying that, uh, you know, you were selected as the Chamberlain Scholar. And I had such a great experience at that first conference. I wanted to give back and I wanted to volunteer. And in the early 2000s, I joined the AFP Greater Toronto Chapter Board. And I also uh, chaired Congress. So those were some of the early beginnings with AFP. And uh, that led me to become more involved uh, with the AFP Foundation for Philanthropy. I worked closely with Scott when he was chair, and I've been serving on the foundation board for uh, almost 10 years. I started as a board member. Yeah, a long time, a really long time. Um, And it's hard to believe, uh, you know, it's so many uh, years of, of Great, great experiences, meeting great friends. I think more importantly, um, having a decent understanding of the importance of, of the foundation, but also of the role that AFP plays. So, you know, it, it led me from, from the role of a board member to, uh, treasurer and secretary, the vice president of fundraising and, and in the role that I'm currently in as chair of the foundation for the last, uh, you know, year and a half and, and, you know, I've been able to round out my volunteer experience uh, by serving on some other boards locally. The one that that was truly beneficial to the, the job that I have as CEO of the foundation in Niagara is uh, with uh, the, the um, CCAC, which is the uh, Community Care um, Network. And that was a, a wonderful experience as vice chair of governance. So... You know, lots of great experiences and, and so wonderful um, and truly it, it makes you feel good when you volunteer and give give back. Uh, it, it truly is gratifying. Thank you, Roger. You're an inspiration to me personally and to many of us. Thank you for your service. Um, also joining us today from Anchorage, Alaska, a place that actually has its own time zone. Who knew? We have <laughs> Anne Hale. <laughs> 
Anne is the Chief Development Officer at the Anchorage Museum, and she is currently, at least for a few more months, the Chair of the Association of Fundraising Professionals. Anne, you are such a great leader and a truly lovely person. We are so happy to have you on our podcast today. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you. I'm honored to join you. And I can't wait to hear what you think about what's in store for 2019, but before we get to that, I want to know what your last year's been like. I mean, every year as a volunteer leader at your level has got to have had some very tremendous highs, but also some some challenging lows. Um, I'm wondering if you can share with us what some of those were in your role as chair of AFP. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, well, I think it's interesting because um, in line with the theme of today, which is looking at trends, um, AFP's really been working to help the profession and fundraisers to address current trends and prepare for future trends. Um, and so some of the things that um, I've been involved in over the last couple of years, and, and in fact, all of you um, on the podcast, um, have been things like AFP worked really hard to develop a new strategic plan. And, and one of the things that we did was we added a focus on advancing social good. So trying to move AFP away from being seen as an organization that just trains fundraisers and represents fundraisers, but one that really represents the sector and can help to grow understanding of the importance of the work and the impact of the work that fundraisers do. Um, another thing that we've been focused on is um, our diversity and inclusion work. And over the last couple of years, we've added to our work a focus on equity and on access. Um, to our diversity and inclusion work so that we can really ensure that we're creating a profession that's open and nurturing for all who wish to join us in it. Um, another thing that we've done, um, which not surprisingly, is um, begun to focus on um, women in the workplace, um, some of which came from the Me Too movement. Um, and that is um, we've developed the Women's Impact Initiative, which was really developed to address gender inequity in our profession, um, which we're finding is, is a really big issue. Um, and then we're also focusing on leadership programs and trying to think about how can we address the leadership gap in the nonprofit sector and what can AFP do to support that. Um, and, and finally, I think um, one of the most important accomplishments that we've had in those couple of years was developing a new structure for AFP in Canada, um, which was really to ensure that the fundraising profession had a very strong voice in Canada through AFP. Um, so I'd say those are the highs and the things I'm most proud of and think have the greatest impact. Um, you know, the lows were there too, certainly. Um, AFP just has come out of a, a tough financial position, and, and I'm really proud of our work to get to where we are now, but we had some real challenges associated with that. Um, and we had a CEO turnover, so hired a new CEO in the last year, and um, that's a massive process, uh, a challenging one, an emotional one um, that I'm glad we're through, <laughs> and we now have uh, an awesome new CEO in place. So I'd say those are my, my highs and lows. Holy cow, that's a big list. Thanks for sharing those with us, and thanks for being at the helm. You've done an amazing job. We really, really are grateful, Anne. Oh, thank you. Finally, joining us from Calgary, we have my business partner, Scott Dexheimer. Scott, this is not your first time on the podcast. In fact, this is your fourth time. You were on our very first episode, also a disruption episode, back in March 2017. Then you joined us later in that season in November and more recently, you joined us last February along with Carmen Hackstead and Michael Dunleavy to talk about the difference between fundraising in urban versus rural centers. So welcome back, Scott. It's great to be here. 
Scott, before we hear your thoughts on disruption for 2019, in addition to being my business partner, you also served as the inaugural chair of AP Canada Board Directors, a role you're about to pass on to Paula. I'm wondering, uh, can you share with us uh, some of the high points uh, you had as chair and maybe, if you feel like it, uh, some advice for Paula? Yeah, I think uh, Paula's heard all my advice, but, it, you know, <laughs> when I took this when I when I took on this role, uh, you know, I was uh, even hours before I, I received a phone call to give it consideration. I, I was blessed to attend a truth and reconciliation uh, breakfast with Doctor Doctor Robert Joseph, uh, and and he really encouraged a lot of us to in our in our work every day to be brave and courageous and be understanding. And I think in in many ways, when I took on the chair role, I looked at those words and. And thought about it, but, but that's the work what we need to be doing is to look at how we can be brave and courageous for our profession in Canada and how we can really be understanding and grow our profession and, and, and understand different perspectives. And, and, you know, I think I've, I've, I've always been proud of the work that we, we do and the way we, we, we work in an inclusive way in AFP in Canada. And, and, you know, we've, I, and in my mind from, we've went from signing documents and becoming incorporated to, to now, now speaking in front of the Senate, to to looking at how we're 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 talking about member value for AFP, and and actually just now in the next uh, next few weeks, going to launch a new project uh, for our members called Fundraising is Awesome, which is a great way for us to not only build pride uh, in the reputation of fundraisers in our profession, but also to to have a document that we can share with people who want to come into our profession, who want to join it, because you know. One of the things we can do to build build better better equity, you know, across our profession is to build build skill and leadership and pride, and I hope that encourages people to stay in our profession as well. And the longer people stay, the more opportunity they're going to have to grow into leadership positions, and that helps us deal with a with a whole host of issues, and not to mention what what's hap- what happens in gender and in inequality of of salary and positional levels across our association between the two genders. So, you know, I'm I'm really proud of where we've come from. Uh, I'm proud of the way the organization has moved, and, and uh, you know, I think um, what, what I'm also proud of is the fact that Paul is going to take over, and that as we have a new leader um, come in, that we've got someone with a new set of skills and a, and a new circumstance and, and a new passion to bring to the organization as we as we take our next step forward. And, and so, you know, I think my advice to Paula is, is my advice I follow everybody is that, you know, you've what, what's got us here is, is passion and and as chair, you know, follow your passion and your gut because it'll be it'll help it be successful. That's great. Thanks, Scott. And um, thank you for your service uh, on the AFP Canada Board of Directors. And uh, fundraising is awesome. You're awesome. We're all awesome. So thank you for that. Okay, let's get started. Thank you all for joining us on this, our, our 20th podcast. Uh, uh, today's topic, global disruption in philanthropy, what to expect in 2019. Disruption is defined as an interruption in the usual way that a system, process, or event works. At Betrayo, we like the word disruption a lot. In fact, you could say it's our unofficial motto. Before I turn the podcast over to our guests, I want to take a quick look back at what others were saying at the end of 2017. In North America and worldwide at the end of 2017, predicted disruptions or trends included the rise of the mega donor, the decline of the legacy foundation, the rise of participatory grant-making, the rise of rage philanthropy, the Me Too movement, and questions about big philanthropy and its agenda, to name just a very few. In Canada, in no particular order, disruptions that were predicted included 
rising awareness around truth and reconciliation. You heard about that from Scott. Jurisdictional increases in minimum wage, increasing pressure to refresh and update the regulatory framework for charities, increasing openness around charities being advocates, ongoing challenges around inequality and exclusion, ongoing challenges with nonprofit governance. Geez, that's a, uh, Jeepers, that's a, a perennial issue and increased giving, but from fewer donors. Again, to name just a few. Paula, I want to start with you. Did last year's pundits get it right? Where did they hit the mark? What did they miss? And what are you seeing as important disruptions and trends for 2018? Sorry, 2019. Wow, for, that was quite a list for 2018, actually. And there, there were some things in, in there that I hadn't, uh, I hadn't considered, but I think it was an excellent list. I, I would add to the, to the, um, the piece around uh, disruption in, in terms of the sector, in terms of women's women's rights and our salaries being lower and the Me Too movement. I'm, I'm going to call that uh, a disruption that's going to continue. Uh, Anne alluded to that and Scott alluded to that. And, and I think that's going to be a big one. We most recently, back in November, actually, we had a conference, a congress here in Toronto for AFP. The whole theme was disruption. And what came out of that loud and clear is that uh, the whole work that AFP is doing around IDEA inclusion, diversity, equity, and access is going to become increasingly important in this sector. Diversity in all its forms, and, and we have to right some historical wrongs, as Scott has alluded to, uh, with our with our Indigenous peoples, and so on and so forth. So we're, we're all going to have to keep our ears carefully to the ground of that. There's some really important conversations happening around the abuse of women within the sector, that goes from, that comes from donors, that comes from senior employer, em, employers rather. That's something we're going to have to work, be very mindful of as we move forward. Uh, you mentioned also the shrinking donor pool, and I think that that is absolutely going to continue to be a trend. There's there's a lot of reasons for that. The the donor pool itself. I think last year the trend was noted, or you noted uh, in in your recap of last year that the trend seemed to be uh, the money was increasing in Canada. Carolyn Riseborough has recently done some research into the dollar levels coming in through donations in Canada, in particular. When you factor in inflation, they're actually decreasing. So that's gonna, I believe, that's gonna be a tr- trend that continues in, into next year. So we've got a shrinking donor pool and we're going to have less money, and we're going to have to be ready for that. There's a couple of other ones I want to add that are, that are new, and I could talk a lot more on all of these, so this is, I just want to, I just want to throw some, some of them out, of the, out at this point. I think as a sector, we're going to face increasing competition from, from lots of places. That's from corporations who are starting their own foundations. That's from younger people who are coming up and they have a distrust of the, of our industry, and they have a distrust distrust maybe of government, of big business, and, and so on and so forth. So they're looking to set up social enterprises. And those social enterprises, they want to make money, but they also want to do good. And the, it's the do good part that's going to, I mean, frankly, some, some of these, these uh, foundations and other things that are springing up are eating our sector's lunch. So we, we've got to be innovative, and we have to stay on top of what the competition is bringing uh, what else? The sector, I, I actually believe we might have a sector blow up in 2019. And, and what do I mean by that? It means, again, I'll relate back to this trust issue and particularly with younger generations. They don't, they don't trust 
the institutions that we've created created and and that that mistrust we often see in the media and it and in the UK they had a blow up a couple of years ago against charities in Australia they've had it in the US they've had it so if the mistrust of our sector grows and we're not ahead of it we're going to have a real problem and so the work that Scott has done as chair of AFP Canada has really put in motion some research and the, and the pieces together to help us get in front of that, to help us get in front of negative messages that may come out of our media. So that's one. That's a couple. The the other one I wanted to mention, and I'm I'm I don't hear a lot of people talking about this, but it is data breach. So we've seen within big industries major major data breaches over the last year, and those data breaches, if I can remind you. The Facebook uh, data breach, which happened earlier this year, which was the the compromise of some 87 million records being breached. And if you remember the firm called Cambridge Analytica, which co- collected the personal information of, of Facebook donors or users rather, and uh, scraped the details about the personal people's personality, social network, and so on and so on. So that was one big. Uh, breach. There were many this year. The Hudson's Bay Company, for example, Saxon uh, Lord Taylor, 5 million records were breached, including credit card numbers and debit card numbers. Those, those, uh, that information, there was five, I believe it was something like 5 million records there. And those credit cards were offered up for sale. What are we as a sector doing to pre- doing to um, protect ourselves, to protect our donors' data, our data, all the information. Are we are we investing enough? Sooner or later, there will be a data breach in a charity, and it, it is likely to be a hospital where there's very personal information um, and so on and so forth. So that, in a nutshell, is some of the things I'm thinking about. I'm also thinking about trends uh, from a technological point of view, we have uh, artificial intelligence, for example, coming up. How do we utilize that as a, as a sector? There, there was an interesting piece uh, I heard recently. A, a hotel in, in Las Vegas has a chat bot, and that chat bot acts uh, online. It's an online tool, but it, it'll speak to guests at the hotel, one of the major hotels there, and it'll act as a concierge. It'll book your dinner for you. It'll make recommendations for entertainment. And I shouldn't say it because it is actually a she. She will also flirt with you through text oh messaging, <laughs> which is yeah, that's pretty cool, right? Those are fantastic thoughts, and I, I want to circle back to um, to the to technological. I'm, I'm hoping in a few minutes, but I heard some really great comments there, Paula, about uh, diversity and inclusion. I see that as a real positive force. And I heard some real interesting possible threats, uh, uh, a lot of them centered in trust. So thank you for sharing those. I want to see if, Anne, did you want to weigh in uh, uh, and sort of add to or uh, enlarge upon or, 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 or take away from some of those thoughts? Sure. Yeah, thank you. I, and, Paula, it's funny because my, my list is really similar to yours as I was thinking about these issues. Um, the, the issue of trust, I, I think, is going to be a huge one. And, and, in fact, there was just an article yesterday, a blog written by The Agitator, um, entitled, Love that blog. Don't Love give that a damn blog. about your privacy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, 
and the gist of the article was that society is becoming more and more skeptical, um, in particular in the U.S. they were referring to, but um, that and that this, there's a threat in public trust um, in our sector and that we really need to think about how are we going to address things like data breaches um, moving forward, that we need to be prepared because, as Paula said, it's something that will happen in our um, industry. It's just a matter of when. Um, and that we really need to be thinking about how are we taking care of donor privacy, donor data, um, remaining transparent, et cetera, moving forward. So um, that, you know, we need to be thinking about establishing policies that are very strong in our nonprofit organizations for data retention and uh, data collection and the use of data. So um, I thought that was a really timely article and ties in well with that conversation. Um, I think also... Um, just wanted to add a little bit of content to the conversation around sexual harassment in the workplace. Um, Paula spoke very well to that, and, and um, AFP and the Chronicle of Philanthropy conducted a survey um, this, let's see, last winter um, with fundraisers to try and engage um, the severity of the problem. And some of the data that came out was, was really striking. Um, one in four female fundraisers um, – have been exposed to sexual harassment in the workplace. 96% of those harassers were men. Um, and then 65% of fundraisers who have been harassed say at least one offender was a donor. Um, so I think those are really striking numbers and something that we all need to be thinking about. Um, it can't be something that we brush under the rug any longer. We need to find ways to train um, our staff. Uh, and our and and to look at policies and procedures for dealing with these issues as they come up. So wanted to just add that to the conversation as well. That was a bit of a seismic quake when that uh, report came out, uh, long overdue, but uh, really woke a lot of people up uh, that were yep. maybe thinking that our sector was different than uh, uh, you know these other uh, more unsavory sectors we like to point to. So this was a huge deal. Thank you for that, Anne. And I know there's, we'll circle yeah. back to more. I don't, I don't want to cut you off at all, but I want to invite others to participate as well. Um, Roger, did you want to weigh in on anything that's talked about here or, or some, uh, some, something that uh, wasn't talked about yet? You know, Vincent, as you were sharing, um, your summary, uh, for, you know, 17, 2017 and, and what came to fruition and just hearing Anne and Paula, I think there are a couple of things that resonate with me. I think in particular, you know, the last uh, decade or so, um, we've had varying degrees of what I would describe as going digital, and uh, many charities have, uh, you know, incorporated uh, technology and social media into their fundraising programs. Uh, but one of the things that I see as as a big disruption is um, around artificial intelligence. And it's really timely for me um, here in my role um, locally because uh, the foundation is gearing up for um, a significant capital campaign. And Niagara Health is envisioning what the second new hospital would look like and how artificial intelligence plays a role in that. And as I was reflecting on it, I was I was thinking about uh, you know um, how that disruption will support, but also um, impact uh, us as fundraising professionals and organizations, which in many respects 
we have followed um, traditional models of fundraising. And uh, it was just earlier this year I was re- I was thinking about uh, you know technology and how it plays a role um, in the work that we do uh, with my team, and I discovered that uh, you know you you have artificial intelligence already in in that nonprofit space where uh, you know you can use the technology that dictates the letter a letter for you. Uh, there is, you know, Paula referenced, uh, you know, the concierge service and, and uh, you know, she would, would help you. Well, very much the same. You, you have an individual who you can say, draft me a letter on stewardship. So I think of 20, 2019 and I think of, you know, how do we define and where is that space for, for AI? Because it's such a mammoth. Uh, uh, concept and, and how does that fit in? So I think that's one of the things that's actually twinned to something that, you know, Paula and Anne talked about just around, um, you know, millennials and our Gen Zs. And I, I see that now in terms of the changing talent pool. And as we recruit, I think what we're seeing and will continue to see is our workplaces, uh, changing in terms of culture and the way in which we interact with our teams. And I know I've struggled with that, uh, you know, thinking about, well, um, how do we give our employees choice? And when I think of the profession, how how do we engage the younger professionals um, to enter the workforce? And then what um, what changes or how do we have to adapt and uh it's something actually my board just um, uh, asked me, and we had a great conversation around uh, risk management. And I had to I had to pause and reflect on, on an area that that is changing, and and that's around human resources. And as we incorporate technology and we work through that, how that might impact our policies, how might that impact the way in which we do business, both internally and externally. And I think the other thing that I'd like to add as well when I think of, um, you know, what's next or what's big, um, it certainly started the last number of years. And, Vincent, you've seen this too with the mega gifts, you know, the $100 million gifts that came through anonymously. But I also think that we will continue to see uh, an emphasis on uh, mega donors uh, wanting to be more involved in the campaigns and the needs uh, that they're supporting locally that will shift us from our thinking and also shift us from what we have been taught around the content of our case for support. And I feel that those tools will evolve and will constantly have to change in order to to bring and to have those transformational donors, because I see that as something that will continue, and there is increased reliance on that, so that certainly is one piece. So um, I think it's very exciting, and it also gives us an opportunity to uh, uh, adapt to the disruptive uh, technology and to the programs and to the uh, uh, human elements that that will only help us to to get better. 
Thank you, Roger. I heard you move from digital to AI to HR to transformational gifts, and those are all that we're seeing those trends as well everywhere. So, um, Scott, uh, you're in the the uh, fortunate or unfortunate uh, role of being the fourth on the list to weigh in with trends. Is there any left that we missed? No, I, I think Roger's. Uh, I just want to just comment on on Roger's first, as, a, as you know, um, as uh, you know, the studies are showing that women are controlling a much higher proportion of, of charitable giving, and I think that goes to Roger's point as well, is that the level of engagement that we're that as a as a profession and as organizations we're going to see from from major gift donors is going to change and increase, and that the research shows that in terms of the a gender gender difference between uh, the way organizations work, and and if you want to disrupt you want to disrupt an organization. Throw a, a, a seven-digit or an eight-digit donor in the middle of an organization that wants to get in and roll up their sleeves, and so that's a that's a preparation that we need to take over the next few years, and and recognizing the the level of engagement that's going to be required to be successful. I you know mm-hmm. I, I think there's there's one other piece here that, that that I want to remind ourselves is in the U.S. we have an interesting empirical study that's happening, even though it may not be as empirical as we'd like, but but with the Trump tax cuts, there were there were changes in the way the tax system down there worked. We've often talked about taxes and their influence and their and their impact. There were studies that talked about the the negative the negative uh, reaction uh, of the tax cuts, and I'm going to be interested to follow that into next year because it, it it sounds like and and again there's nothing yet on it, but it sounds like giving is remaining fairly stable even with the tax cut because it, it reduces the value of charitable giving in a tax way. Um, and, and in many ways, it validates what we already know about our profession is that people give because they believe in the values and the mission of the organization. So we've got that piece of evidence. The, the final piece I want to talk about as well is, a, is the rise of the corporate competitor in our charitable world. And you yeah. could have never convinced me five years ago that as a charity, I'd be competing with mayonnaise. But now mayonnaise is, is running a major corporate uh, a food waste initiative in Canada and is using charitable messaging, is using charitable direction, is using storytelling the way we've used it, and, and but has a marketing budget that's multi, many, many hundreds of multiples of what a charity would spend. And so uh, chari- them, organizations like, like Mayonnaise, so competing with Mayonnaise, uh, running, running in prime time or during major sporting events are times when charities aren't competing. And so, you know, mm-hmm. I think that's changing the, the way we're, we're, I'm seeing our world work. And in some ways, these, some corporations are starting to co-opt an entire mission of organizations and then rewarding people for a tweet. So people are turning their charitable gifts into tweets, which are then turning into money. And I think that's, we have to be really careful of that change when, when people believe their tweet is a charitable gift. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Paula talked about competition as well. Uh, um, on the mayonnaise issue, Scott, you need to know, and I'm sure you do, that um, uh, millennials hate mayonnaise, apparently. Um, so <laughs> maybe, maybe we've still got a benefit. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen that meme. Um, and I'm curious about that comment that Scott made uh, with respect to uh, the changes in the tax law and uh, what impact, if any, it had on giving, uh, whether that was flat, nothing, or something. Uh, what, what's sure. your experience? So um, my experience in my own organization is that our giving is actually up slightly, um, which is is actually mirroring the trends um, that are being reported by the Fundraising Effectiveness Project. 
there was just a third quarter report released, um, which compares the fundraising year-to-date um, data over the previous year for 2017. Um, and the statistics are that um, for 2018, um, most of the metrics are actually behind last year. So the number of donors is down uh, by 4.3%. The retention rate is also down slightly from the previous year. But what's interesting, and, and Paula referred to this as did Roger, is that what has increased is revenue, and that is due largely to donors that are making larger gifts. So um, it's proving that we do have sort of a growing giving gap um, and that we're somewhat top-heavy in the U.S. in terms of where our gifts are coming from. Um, so, and again, I mean, we're seeing really similar um, statistics in my own organization. I think um, I think it was good for us all to be cautious about what the tax law changes might um, make happen. But but for now, things seem to be remaining steady. I think Scott's right that where we're really going to maybe potentially see differences will be in the coming year as things settle out. Hmm. Okay. Good. That's that's a, an interesting observation. I know we've heard from other quarters that there has been relatively um, no no impact yet, um, at least not right. negative impact, but certainly some changes. I'm, um, I'm I want to dig in for the, maybe a minute or so, unless somebody wants to push it to another uh, uh, area. But this idea of the mega donor and their uh, their more active involvement with our organizations uh, has a has a, um, uh, an aspect of trust with the general population that isn't necessarily always so positive. Uh, the idea that these donors have an agenda and are using their wealth to pursue that agenda, which might not always in people's mind be associated with a social good. Any thoughts or trends or feelings on that? I mean, there's been some books out in the last little while, a lot of press around some of this, uh, you know, these, these gilded donors um, are ruining philanthropy. Anybody want to weigh in? Well, one one thing that's happened, um, Vincent, o- over here, and I'm not a, I'm an annual fund giver, so the the, the mega giving space is not particularly a space uh, that I uh, operate in on a regular basis. But I can say that one thing that's happened is the renaming of hospitals, and I and uh, you know I find that interesting when a when a a big donor is able to come in and do that. And the, the example that I use is the hospital I was born in was um, the Toronto East General Hospital. A big, a big donor, a well-meaning donor came in and, and renamed it, and, and now it's now it, ha- it bears that, that the name of uh, the family. And you know, I, I wonder about that, and I and I and I don't like it just as a human being having been born somewhere and then having it renamed. And, and so, I mean, that's the question: is what kind of sway and what kind of power do we give these mega donors in in our in our institutions? Do we? Do, do we allow them to drive our missions? Do we allow them to change our names? Do we, you know, all those kinds of questions I ask myself on a regular basis. And I, I think we have to be really mindful um, not to change fundamentally who we are as, as organizations, as not-for-profits, uh, based on, on the needs or the desires of, of big money. So it, that's just my perspective. Yeah, and I, and I, I want to comment on that, and, and part of part of this goes back to charitable organizations. And to me, um, an organization with a plan and and presenting that plan to the donor now becomes a much more charity centered organization. An organization without a plan or without a direction, but is going to visit a donor, becomes much more prone to sway from that donor. And so, to me, organizations being clear on their strategy, knowing where they're going. Uh, knowing knowing their vision for how a gift might be used 
in advance of working with donors or thinking through that is only going to help them keep their direction clear. And, and you know, in my experience, the organizations that have gotten into trouble or or have that that sway that, that they feel is being inflicted on them are the ones that probably have the least uh, have the least are least prepared in terms of their vision or the outcomes that they're planning, and so you know that that gets back to great planning, and that's that's a strong business metric around values and and direction, and it's a strong charitable metric as well that that donors are going to be evaluating and hopefully not sway as much in the future. And, and I completely Roger, agree. Go, go, go ahead, Roger. I I do. It's you know when I think of uh, you know Paula, your comment about the hospital um, renaming uh, in Toronto and and just around staying true to your mission that Scott alluded to. Um, I can think of a recent example um, where uh, um, a, a very uh, important community resident was. Um, uh, interested in supporting the hospital, um, and in particular the priorities, um, but wanted to have some direction on, on where the, um, location of the new hospital will be built. And, you know, it comes back to Scott's, uh, points around, um, sticking with the strategy, being true to your mission. And I think if you have that clear direction, um, you're able to engage uh, those donors, and I and I would add that there um, there are times that you have to uh, pause and know when to say no, and that's mm-hmm. often hard when mm-hmm. you think of the uh, uh, increasing and and uh, significant financial targets that are put on uh, foundations and and fundraising teams, and there is that pressure to perform, and um, the key performance indicators are closely monitored by boards, and, and, you know, sometimes you succumb to pressure. But at the end of the day, I firmly believe that you have to, um, one, be accountable to the organization, two, uh, stay true to the mission, and three, engage the donor deeply, but know when to say, um, you know, this doesn't fit with the organization's priorities, but here are some opportunities that you can still have uh, uh, your involvement and a role to transform, uh, whether it's healthcare or education or uh, whatever that cause may be. But often it's very difficult to 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 do that, and um, you know sometimes I think we have to give ourselves permission to be able to say, you know, there's another area or there's a, a project that does need funding. It doesn't quite meet, uh, you know, what you're thinking of. But I would like to tell you a little bit more about it. And I think if we if we give ourselves permission to be bold about those conversations. Um, yeah, I know for me, at the end of the day, uh, the donor could or may say no, um, but I feel good walking away knowing that I have genuinely engaged in priorities and things that are critical to the organization and, more importantly, will advance the mission of the organization. And those Roger, are uh, values that I would say to our um our up-and-coming uh, fundraisers and uh, leaders that uh, it's something to continue working on and instilling in your teams. 
Roger, you just used a key word there, bold. And I think that's going to be a, a real focus for not only our profession uh, and the way we work, but but the way that we're going to have to start marketing ourselves more in, in the new environment of tech and other other areas and, and having us have a willingness to be bold when it's needed, be bold in our messaging and be bold in our outcomes. And, and, uh, and that is something that, that is growing and, and, and is growing in its importance because the organizations that are, are becoming generic and vanilla are, are seeing their revenues, their, their donations drop, their connection to the community drop, their volunteerism drop, and they're having a hard time, you know, showing themselves to donors. And so, so boldness is going to be a big trend for next year and into the future. I love this conversation. Yeah, I love the conversation, and I think um, Roger was so eloquent in the way he talked about values. Um, you know, I see I, I this, this continual campaign mode that so many nonprofits are in now with these sky-high goals um, to achieve. Um, I, I really think that it's starting to threaten our values as fundraisers sometimes, and um we're starting to see that in some of these things like the namings that Paula was was talking about. I mean, I, I'm seeing a trend in the U.S. now. I've heard this talked about quite a bit about nonprofits now changing their gift acceptance policies to not allow any naming in perpetuity anymore. Almost every naming at every college that's doing a fundraising campaign is for only for a specific period of years. And so I think we just have to be careful in thinking about as we move forward, not chasing the money, but really building donor relationships and maintaining our values and mission as we seek to raise money to, you know, to grow and to be able to do our work. I like charities that are mission forward. Thank you for that, Anne. I, um, I, I really love this conversation as well. I want to uh, give the, the, the group an opportunity. If there was a, if there was a trend or, or a disruptor that we didn't get a chance to really at least uh, surface, today. Uh, if you wanted to bring that up now, feel free. Um, anybody around the table feel like there was one on their list that they really wanted to talk about that they didn't get a chance? It's, it's Paula here, Vincent. And I, I did have one that I, I, I wanted to raise. It, it ties in with the shrinking donor pool. And that is the, the, and we've all, I think we've all alluded to this one, but we haven't really addressed it as such. And that's the generational um, shift that's happening. So we have Kind of the civic donors that, you know, by and large, she's in her 80s. She gives small gifts. She leaves a big legacy. Uh, she, as a generation, is dying. And that, that was the generation that is the bread and butter for many of the larger charities in North America. And are we replacing the civic generation with the huge influx of boomers that's coming down? Are they still responsive in terms of giving those annual gifts, in terms of the repeat gifts, in, in terms of uh, legacy giving and, and, and plan giving and so on and so forth? I'm not sure we've, we've figured that out yet, this generational switch, this generational uh, shift that's occurring. You have this great group of boomers, and beneath them we have the X and the Y, and then we have the millennials, and and how do we how do we deal with the generational shift in terms of digital? So so how are we acquiring new donors from the digital space? So I'm just going to leave it at that. But it, it is something that we're going to have to be very mindful of in 2019 and engaging engaging new and younger generations in philanthropy. That's a great summary of our podcast, Paul. <laughs> Thank you. Anyone else before uh, before I, I I I feel like we need to draw it to a close? I don't want to cut anyone off, but was there a trend that or a disruptor that you felt you needed to talk about? 
Not hearing any, I'm going to say, wow, just wow, great observations, great conversation. It always is. I can't wait to revisit this conversation throughout the year um, and even next December, as I mentioned at the opening part of the podcast. So, But until then, though, I want to thank all of you. You've been great guests, Scott and Roger, Paula. I can't wait to have each of you back on our podcast, and we don't have to wait till next December either. Before we go, though, I want to give each of you a chance to tell us a little bit more about what you're working on or what's uh, really commanding your time, uh, maybe how people can reach you, or or just leaving a message for somebody that's going to hear it in the middle of December. So, Roger, anything you want our listening audience to know or hear about from you? Well, you know, there's lots going on right now, but I would say two things that are top of mind for me. Um, we just launched our Celebration of Lights holiday campaign at Niagara Health Foundation. That's Yay! a very important campaign, so we're quite excited. It's for Gifts of Gratitude, uh, now Gifts of Extraordinary Care Funds. And, um, you know, for more information, um, your listeners can go to NiagaraHealthFoundation.com, and there's lots of information online, how to give, and more information. And I think the second is around uh, AFP Foundation in Canada, and uh, we launched uh, AFP Global, a new uh, name and website uh, recently. But, uh, you know, we have information there about the great work that the foundation is doing, and we just uh we just celebrated Giving Tuesday, so it's an opportunity to uh engage our members and our chapters uh, across uh, the country and that's at afbglobal.com. So thank you. Thank you for that, Roger. I'm gonna turn it over to you now, Anne. What do you want people to hear and know about with your your life and, and work right now? Well, I think, um, you know, like, like many fundraisers that work on a calendar year, I'm busy, uh, just trying to wrap up the, um, fundraising year. We're like most nonprofits where we get a, a huge portion of our annual giving that comes in in the third, or excuse me, the fourth quarter of the year. So, um, busy with that. Um, but on a, on a volunteer level, I, I just wanted to, um, put a plug in also for AFP and, um, let the listeners know that, you know, to continue this type of conversation or to get more information about trends that um, you can expect, I would encourage everyone to go to the new AFPglobal.org website. Um, there's all kinds of amazing new learning resources there. Uh, and I would also encourage people to look at attending the AFP International Conference, AFP ICON, which is um, March 29th through April 2nd, 2019 in San Antonio. Um, one of my favorite things about that conference is one of the tracks that's called Rebels, Renegades, and Pioneers. And, and much of the content is uh, conversations like we've had today. So we just um, encourage everyone to take a look at the AFP website for some of those resources. Thanks, Anne. Uh, the new website is, is fantastic. And the best part, maybe not the best part, but a really nice part is that it's now AFP Global. Uh, uh, as opposed to uh, whatever it was, AFP.net or something. So I think that's fantastic. Right. Um, really. And, uh, and of course, San Antonio is a great city. So thanks for, for letting us and reminding us of that. Paula, what do you want people to know and hear about as they uh, go into this holiday season? Well, that's a great question. I think for me, trend watching, I love this podcast and I love that we, uh, we, we dealt with trends, but trend watching is really a part of, of my everyday life, uh, both professionally and, and my volunteer life. Um, in fact, at ST here at the office, we co-host an annual conference, and that's called Digital Leap. 
and we run that in April here in Toronto at the Art Gallery. This coming nice. year will be our ten- yeah, thank you. This coming year will actually be our tenth annual, and the reason we run it is really to bring the non uh, the nonprofit sector leaders to talk about digital trends and fundraising. So I'm excited about that. We're in full planning mode on that, and I just did want you to say it's April? Did you oh, say April thirtieth. Yeah, April thirtieth next year. Yeah, Perfect. we bring in some great great speakers. You know, and I, I just want to echo what, what Anne said about the AFP. We've got a tremendous website with, with a, now a Canadian section in it for, for material that's specific to Canada. And uh, I'm going to be in San Antonio, as Anne mentioned, at ICON, our conference there, and I'm excited about that. We're going to be doing lots of great things. I love the Rebels track. It's amazing. That's where I spend a lot of my time. And I just want to end on, you know, I took a piece away from what Scott just said, and that's all about being bold. And so I hope to be bold with ASP Canada and and with the work that I do in in my day-to-day job. Thank you, Paula. Scott, you get to close out the show with uh, what you want people to hear. Well, there's one thing I want to hear, and it's to congratulate you, Vincent, on on receiving the uh, Calgary and Area Outstanding Fundraising Professional uh, for 2018. So congratulations on Yay. that. And thank you for all your work. You do. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, the, uh, the, the, the presentation is later today, so it's a big day, and I'm going to do a live podcast at lunch as well. So, <laughs> oh. <laughs> big, big congratulations. Thank, thanks yeah, very much. Uh, for those of you yeah. that, that uh, were talked about data breach earlier, um, I actually have on my desk a letter from an organization that I donated to related to a data breach. So it's already happening. Uh, It maybe just hasn't been big. It hasn't been the 5 million, but it is happening in smaller increments. And uh, a good rule of thumb, by the way, for charities is if you're going to photocopy checks, don't photocopy the banking information, which is the issue they've got there. Oh, jeepers. uh, Anyway, I won't go into all the privacy issues of that, but, but, uh, you know, I think that's something to to think about. And, and, you know, what am I working on right now is that, you know, I think we're, as as a company, looking at how we're, we're, we're redefining our work in terms of 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 our uh, consulting for our clients. I think we're in a we're in a world of disruption, and I think we're in a world of change. And I think as organization and as organizational leaders and professional leaders and and a consultant, I get a chance to work in that change every day. And and it's how we can deliver that for for not only our clients but for the community and everything we do. So that's what my plan is for going the rest of this year and into next year. So thank you very much, Vincent, for hosting. Thanks, Scott. And that's why we love you at Betrayo as our CEO. You're doing a great job. Thank you. Um, thank you to everyone for joining us today. With that, our gift of another brain trust philanthropy powered by Betrayo has been committed. Well, that's about it for this episode of Brain Trust Philanthropy. I hope you will join us next month when our topic will be Calgary, engaging the next generation of leaders, donors, and volunteers. Joining us for our second ever live podcast will be Joanne Cuthbertson, former Chancellor at the University of Calgary, Stephanie Faleski, former Calgary United Way campaign co-chair and current co-chair of the Calgary Health Trust NICU campaign, Rebecca Morley, former board chair of YW Calgary and Calgary's Top 40 Under 40 2018 recipient, and Kate Fisher, legal counsel for Alpha Gas and co-chair along with Stephanie of the Calgary Health Trust NICU campaign. On behalf of all of us at Betrayo and our entire podcast family, we wish you and yours a wonderful and safe holiday season and an even more amazing 2019. Talk to you next year. Brain Trust Philanthropy is powered by Vitreo 
and is produced by Lauren McMurray at Alchemy Communications and by me, Vincent Duckworth. Brain Trust Philanthropy is recorded in beautiful downtown Calgary, Alberta. Follow our show and engage with fellow listeners on Twitter at Powered by Vitreo. You can subscribe to Brain Trust Philanthropy on iTunes or by visiting our website at vitreogroup.ca. Wishing all of you success in your mission, peace in your lives, hope in your hearts. I'm Vincent Duckworth. <laughs>